Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that is hosted by the only turkey that seems to survive Thanksgiving every year. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is a special double holiday edition of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining and always celebrating Pipes Magazine radio show. I am your turkey, I mean your host, Brian Levine, and I am stuffed and ready to go for a happy Thanksgiving and happy Hanukkah edition of the Pipes Magazine radio show. On tonight's show, in Pipe Parts going to go back to one of the English brands. We're going to go back to talking about GBD pipes. Yes, GBD, which if you're not a pipe smoker, you might think that's either a punk rock club in New York or the new hip-hop band coming out of LA, but GBD pipes, my guest, Abe Herbaugh, pipe maker, and I'm going to get you, I'm going to get him to ask you about his other hobby that he's got, (laughs) and uh, music, mailbag and holiday rant all that coming up on today's thanksgiving and hanukkah edition of the pipes magazine radio show and on the home front if you don't follow me on facebook you will notice that i did buy a car i bought it friday i uh, bought a car that's got two ashtrays one in the front seat one in the back seat so that'll tell you how old it is but i did buy a 1997 Lexus ES, and uh, no, I'm not getting that old. It's just that it was a single-owner car in really good condition, good solid engine, really comfortable, and the price was way right. All the services up to date on it, and it has two ashtrays. I mean, how could how could I pass up a car nowadays with two ashtrays? And every knob or every function on the radio has its own separate knob. So I'm going a little old school on it. Anyway, tomorrow we'll be getting up and going over to the Charlotte Motor Speedway for their souvenir blowout. And hopefully going to take the new car up onto the the speedway and see how fast we can get that sucker going. Uh, Before we get the show started, let me remind you, please send me any holiday pipe smoking traditions you may have. Please email them to me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. Send them as a private message on pipesmagazine.com or message them to me on Facebook. want to keep gathering those up for the holidays. We'll read those right around Christmas. And next week... Next week, next Wednesday and Thursday, I will be in San Antonio, Texas at the Fink's Cigar Shops doing a little in-store event there. So if you're in the San Antonio area, please come by next Wednesday and Thursday. All right, everybody, sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you to Sutliff Tobacco Company. Thank you all for sharing your holiday with us. Here we go. I'm Mark from Ohio, and I've tried so many tobaccos, but I just still can't find something that is just magical. A tobacco that I can fall in love with. I mean, I've tried reading reviews online and participating in forum discussions only to get burned. When I was about to give up, I discovered this amazing matching system for finding my perfect blend at SutliffTobacco.com. That's how I found my perfect blend, and I just loved it. 
Finding the right tobacco doesn't have to be hard. There are lots of tobaccos waiting for you to fall in love with them. Finding that special tobacco shouldn't be left up to chance. Experience the magic of compatibility with our patented Perfect Match system. Try it at SutliffTobacco.com. Go to SutliffTobacco.com right now and find your perfect blend. Welcome back. In uh, just a few minutes, I'll get Abe Herba on the phone. In the meantime, let me introduce you to three guys, GBND. Uh, the brand GBD got its name from its three founders, Messieurs Ganivel, Bondier, and Donninger. Three guys got together in Paris in 1850 and formed this pipe company primarily as a uh, Meerschaum pipe company, but then shortly after that started tooling around and working in Briar and having some Briar pipes turned for them in, in St. Claude, sent to them in Paris and finished there. Uh, at one point, GBD was so well known that in its first uh, 40 years, according to the article, GBD was honored with 15 medals of achievement on, in, at important international fairs worldwide. Uh, GBD was one of the first briar pipe makers. Now, in the subsequent years, GBD goes through a few ownership changes. The original Mr. Ganaval uh, stays on for almost 30 years, and then it goes through some ownership changes. And by 19, by the turn of the century, 1900, it's now completely owned by new people. However, it is still making pipes in Paris, as well as they start to tool up and key up production in England. So you start to see a little bit of a transition of GBD from being just a French company to being both French and British. And in fact, that, that French production goes on for many, many, many more years. Uh, one of the things that I found interesting when I was doing some research and reading on GBD was that Right at the end of the 19th century, right around the 1900s, if you combined the different shapes of pipes that they made and the different materials that they used for stems and the different fitments, and keep in mind, not all stems were black rubber back then. There was uh, ivory, bone, amber was being used. But GBD, at the end of the 1800s, was offering over 1,500 different models. So there's 1,500 different combinations, and that was all in one grade of a pipe. They just had one grade that had GBD. Occasionally, towards the end of the 19th century, right around the turn of the century, they would do what they called a GBD extra or a special and that was the only other grades they had. They had GBD and then these very few rare extras and specials. Going forward, we get to the end of World War I. And by 1920, the Oppenheimer Company had purchased the interests of the GBD brand. Oppenheimer at that, uh, at that time also owned BBB, Lowy, and Kamoys of London. This company would be known to us now as Cadogan. It's the same company that owns all these trademarks still. 
But by the 1920s, we start to see the brand more distributed internationally. We start seeing more recognition for it around the world. And GBD starts to come out with a few other lines, I want to say, a few other ideas, a few other extensions. In the 1920s is also when we see the beginning of the uh, little brass or silver placard with the GBD logo on it that's set into the stem, and that's the common stem logo that we're all used to now. Here is a tip on a great estate buy if you can find them. The City Deluxe began in 1921, and it really started out as a second line to GBD or came in as a undergraded, an undergraded pipe that GBD didn't want to put their didn't want to put in as the GBD name, or they wanted to come out with a lower price line to get more people familiar with it. So if you can find a City Deluxe on the estate market, you'll see them anywhere from $30 to $50. As long as they're good and clean, they're going to be great old smoking pipes, and they're from that classic GBD era. GBD continued until all the way up until 1981, until Cadogan finally took over and merged them completely with Kamoys, and then we have one factory. And that's kind of when I look at the end of the Kamoys three-part C. This is also when you start to see the end of the GBD placard logo. So when I'm looking for a GBD estate pipe, and I've got one in my collection, I want to make sure that it's got that little brass placard in there. As far as grading goes on GBDs, the top of the line are the pedigrees. There's a pedigree, and then there's a pedigree one and a pedigree two. Then there's the straight grain prodigy, and you start going down and you get into the velvets and the virgins. The ones that we're most likely to see on the market available are the, uh, the pedigrees are obviously collectible and available. The virgin, the century, and the new era, those are kind of the core of the line. The virgins are all going to be a really natural finish. Uh, the century's kind of darker, and then the new era is kind of like a perfect pipe, but yet a little bit of a contrast to it. So when you're looking for GBDs, you want to look for that little placard, the little placard inlay. You don't want to see a stamp, or if you can get one that's got some silver work done to it, look for those. Those are real easy to date. All you have to do is read the hallmarks. There's a little rundown on GBD, GBDs. If you want to see some great pictures of some of the older GBDs, go to uh, Greg Pease's website, glpease.com. He's got pictures of his own personal collection. He's got some amazing GBD pieces. All right, in just a few minutes, Abe Herbaugh will be on the phone. There's nothing quite like a good book. Or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe. An American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeershamStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including calabash, claws, dragons, horror, even a sexy series. MeershamStore.com, the most trusted Meersham store for 50 years. Do you 
need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. This is Internet Radio. I am happy to welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show on this Thanksgiving holiday of 2013. A pipe maker, relatively young pipe maker, although not the youngest we've had, but uh, pipe maker and uh, West Virginia native Abe Herbaugh. Abe, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Brian. Uh, are you a native of West Virginia or are you a transplant? Uh, I guess technically a transplant. Um, moved here when I was two, but uh, I consider West Virginia home. So I guess that's close enough. It's kind of like my time in San Francisco. I was about a year, year and a half old, and I don't remember anything either. Yeah. Yep. So you grew up in Augusta, West Virginia, which is what part of the state? Uh, it's in the eastern panhandle. Eastern Panhandle, kind of near Maryland and all that stuff. Yeah, near Maryland and Virginia, kind of forty-five minutes from either state. Uh, much of a sports fan? Uh, no, not really. What What happened? Um, I never really was in the sports. Uh, I guess a little bit in middle school, I was, and then I just kind of got out of it and uh, got into music. Um, been around music. Most of my life, my dad plays music, and that kind of, I guess, grabbed a hold of me more than sports, and I uh, just stuck with that. Do you play an instrument? Uh, yes. I play guitar, banjo, and bass. Um, well, most of the time, banjo these days. I, that's the national pastime in West Virginia, isn't it? That it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> Uh, four-string or five-string banjo? Uh, five-string. Uh, I play the claw hammer style versus the three-finger bluegrass. So you must be pretty good then. <laughs> uh, 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 I'm all right, I guess. Tell me, tell me again, I, I know what your full-time job is because pipe-making is not your, not your primary thing. What is your full-time job? I work in Winchester, Virginia for Callaham Guitars, and we manufacture electric guitar parts, um, mainly re the bridges for to replace on a Stratocaster or a Telecaster. Um, we also make bridges for Les Paul and SG-type guitars. And we did build guitars for a good while, but since then, um, about a year ago, we've quit building guitars and just focusing on the uh, the parts. How did you, how did you get a job doing that? I, I I was interested. I guess in high school, my senior year and junior year, I was interested in instrument repair, and I took some classes down in uh, Elkins, West Virginia, Davis and Elkins College. They have a they call it Augusta Heritage foundation and they had like a repair class and i took that for a week and then i just kind of fooled around with it here just building or repairing guitars and whatever 
And then my brother-in-law worked there, basically since he had been in high school. And I was working, working at a sawmill at the time, and I was pretty much finished working there. I was, uh, I'm not really built to work at a sawmill. So I asked, uh, asked him if, uh, if they were hiring and he checked and yeah, got a job through him. Yeah. For anybody who hasn't seen Abe, the first thing that I would look at when, when I first, when I first look at you, there's no way I would think of you as a lumberjack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it tore me up pretty good working there. Yeah, you've got my build from uh, back when. Yeah, yep. All right, so you're working, you're working doing the guitar parts. You're playing banjo and all that stuff. How do we get into pipe smoking? Uh, I've always been interested in pipes. Um, I had a distant relative that we would always, when I was little, we would go and visit on Sundays, and he was. I just remember him always sitting in his chair and smoking a pipe and just the smell of his house and I guess that's kind of where it where it always stuck in my mind and then I guess I tried in high school I tried a pipe it didn't work out well <laughs> um it was uh bought some drugstore tobacco and really burnt my tongue and I didn't really have anybody that I could learn learn from or Really, I didn't even think about looking online to see if there was any info, which there probably was at the time. But uh, So I didn't mess with it until uh, about 2008 I started smoking again, or gave it a try again, and went to the tobacconist near in uh, Winchester and then bought a pipe there and bought some tobacco there. and He did a little 15-minute run-through on packing the pipe and smoking it and which that helped a little bit, but there was still still definitely some learning to go along with it. Do you remember that pipe? Uh, yeah, it's a it's a older uh, Kamois pipe. An older? So you started off with an estate pipe? Uh, yes, it was an estate pipe. Wow. And what kind of tobacco was was it that he suggested for you? Um, I. I picked out a few. Um, I grabbed an aromatic, and then I grabbed um, a blend of theirs, um, which was, I think, of Red Virginia, and then a Stoved Virginia in it. And those were the two blends that I had grabbed, and the Virginia I seemed to like a little more. Um, Now, how often do you... How often do you smoke? Uh, nowadays, it's usually a bowl a day, I would say. One to two bowls a day. And that's usually, I have a 45-minute commute to work, so that's usually my smoking time. A lot of people in West Virginia have a 45-minute drive down their driveway. Yeah. <laughs> I, I promise eventually I'll stop picking on West Virginia. All right. <laughs> Maybe. Um, I won't. I won't hold my breath. Okay. So you. So you had that first Kamois. Did you go back get a second pipe? Uh yeah, of course. <laughs> and yeah, how, how long did it take to get it. the second one? Um, it took. It was maybe three weeks or so. <laughs> and, uh, and 
then I the second pipe was a, a little Meerschaum pipe. And then, yeah, I've always been kind of a collector with anything, really, that, that I've been interested in. So, yeah, I, I, I enjoy collecting pipes. And just once I started smoking, I kind of not only got interested in the tobacco, but also just the pipes. How long after that did you start working on making a pipe? I about a year later, I uh, decided to buy some blocks and buy some uh, pre-made stems and give it a go. Now you had yeah, a, it just you had a little bit of help with the uh, tools required and stuff like that. Um, a lot of that I. Well, I, I went and used my dad's at a workshop. He has a drill press, and he had a wood lathe and uh, just some random motors he had picked up at auctions. And so I just grabbed one of those motors and mounted a sanding disc to it and used the drill press to drill the blocks. Um, I did a lot of reading on the Pipe Makers Forum. And I guess um, since I have the, the machining background also, I was... I could use some of the machines at work to make some tooling that I needed. So it's, and, so it's a perfect storm. You've got the tools and you've got access to the tools. You've got a natural skill. Mm-hmm. And then you just started diving in, reading, and learning. Yeah. And what, how many pipes did take you before you actually came up with one that you were uh, not afraid to show people oh that was it was a good many i would say probably i mean i would show friends but as far as kind of publicly or comfortable to i guess to try to sell um yeah it wasn't until maybe my 30th or 25th to 30 pipes or so now, any of you that might have, that might run into Abe at a pipe show, he's not the uh, most outspoken person, so you, you're somewhat kind of reserved. So I'm I'm gonna guess that probably right around pipe ten to fifteen was probably pretty good at that point, but you weren't ready to show them to people yet. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. I'm I can be pretty particular with things and. If I'm not happy with something, it's I I'm not happy with it, and I guess I I wouldn't want to show anybody. Um, how long into pipe yeah. making? How long into pipe making was it before you went and worked with another pipe maker? That was wasn't until I'd say a little over a year ago. Um, Primal Chetta um, over at Smokers Haven, he uh, came across one of my estate pipes. And he contacted me and just, uh, we kind of became friends then, talked there for a little bit, and he invited me to the workshop to uh, work with him and uh, Bill Sherlosky for a weekend and did that and then made a, a few more trips down there to visit and work in the shop with him. Are, and you, that, are you willing to share with us some of the things that they pointed out to you that you, you know, some of the little tips or tricks that they pointed out to you while you were working with them um some of it was kind of just um the techniques for doing the slots and and kind of the button work 
And a lot of it's just um, keeping consistent, just keeping your, uh, just being consistent. And and definitely on the stem is you want to make, try to make each stem like the stem before, as far as the where the button is and where this smoker is going to be uh, holding it in his mouth. Before that, who inspired your pipe making style? Um, I I did I did a lot of just spent a lot of time looking online at different pipes, and um, I, I was always intrigued by Rad Davis's work, and I still am. And his I had picked up a sandblasted little squat Rhodesian from him, and that was my first artisan pipe. And once I got that pipe, I I kind of used that as a guide for um, this is how I mean that pipe just smoked so well it it fit really well um, and that was just kind of my guide to of what I thought a pipe should be. We're gonna take a break right here. When we come back, we're gonna talk about the pipe that I'm actually holding in my hand and smoking right now. So we'll be back in just a minute. Thank you for calling SmokingPipes.com. This is Barry. How can I help you? Meet Barry. He's our homegrown, all-American family guy in customer service here at SmokingPipes.com. With 25 years of experience in sales, his dedication to customer service makes Barry pretty handy around here. He's on the phone all day helping customers like you from all over the globe pick out great pipes and pipe tobacco. Ciao, Barry. Tell me about your selection of a Savinelli autograph. Don't you know I saw that list of tobacco you carry online there? Maybe you could help me pick out a good Virginia, eh? You see, we hire not only the best people, we hire people who are as passionate about our products as you are. Just ask Barry why he loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Because I don't just help people choose from our great selection of pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345 or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality, we are experts, we are SmokingPipes.com. We are back on this Thanksgiving Day 2013. Abe is still with us. Abe, let me ask you what what kind of a what kind of a Thanksgiving Day tradition? Any uh any traditions that you have? Uh yeah, we uh get together at uh, my grandmother's and cousins, aunts, aunt and uncles, and we uh, just usually stay there and visit for the day, eat hors d'oeuvres, and then uh, have a big, big meal and just hang out with the family. Uh, any uh, West Virginia moonshine? Um, not normally, no. No, we try to keep it a little tame there. All right. What are you drinking right now? Uh, Johnny Walker right now. All right, well, happy Thanksgiving to you. I'll toast you with some of my uh, Maker's Mark, courtesy of uh, my friend Peter from Oregon. Okay, now, let me ask you about this pipe in particular. I'm pretty sure I got it from you in uh, Richmond 2012, so it would have been Richmond a year ago. Uh, the stem work is, is wonderful. It's got... You've, you did that little ball 
little ball joint on the stem that kind of countersinks yeah. in. Mm-hmm. Was that uh, inspired by the uh, the Danes or just a stylistic thing that you're doing? Uh, yeah, it was inspired some of the Danes. And, yeah, I think I haven't done too many with kind of that ball joint. That that might be the – I think that's the first one I had done. And then a pipe I just finished up recently would be the second one um, with kind of that ball saddle on it. Um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't done too many of those. And, and I do seem to do a lot of kind of the flared out type saddles. How long does it take you to make a stem by itself? A stem by itself? I would say if everything goes right, um, around four hours. Just on the stem? Yes. And if everything doesn't go right? Uh, can be longer. <laughs> and how long does it take you to make the pipe, the briar part? Um, that's probably, that's, I'd say close to four to five hours, um, depending on the shape. And and same thing if everything goes right. Um, and, and we all know that wood is so wonderful and compliant when working with it. Oh, yeah, yeah. You never run into anything. <laughs> yeah. So wait, let's go through some of the details. Where do you get your briar from? I get that from Mimo. And your stem material is German the ebonite? The NYH? Yeah, it's German. Yeah. And are you doing any special process to your to your briar when once you get it? Uh, I usually just let it sit for a few months, um, and uh, and then just start making pipes. Um, yeah, his briar, Mimo's briar, seems to be pretty dry, and I just I can't really have the the stock to be able to let it sit for a year or two like some of the guys. Uh, how many pipes a year are you doing now? Um, this that's hard to say because probably this year will be the first year that I've really that I'm really spending most of my free time making pipes. Um, but I would say maybe thirty to forty pipes. And that's because you got a full time job plus you have a real life too. Yeah. So. With eight hours, nine hours, ten hours per pipe, that's a pipe a weekend, plus you're going to a couple of pipe shows here and there, and you're trying to have a life in, in addition. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you prefer to sandblast, or do you like smooth pipes? Um, my my personal collection of pipes, I have I do have more sandblasts. Um, and I think I just, I like the feel of them just while I'm smoking them. Um... And as far as I do seem to make more sandblasts than smooths. And usually I'm pretty particular. If I see one little flaw, I'll, I will most likely sandblast it. Um, just because, I, I don't know, I think a smooth should be flawless. Um, no, and f- no fills whatsoever, huh? No fills, no. If you want to see my pipe that I'm smoking right now, Abe's website is Herba, H-E-R-B-A-U-G-H, 
pipes.com, go to the gallery page, and on the right-hand column, my pipe is the third pipe down. Do you have a favorite shape? A favorite shape to make? Yeah. Um, I've been really getting into a uh, a squat tomato that I've, I think I've only done two so far. I'm working on a third one right now, and I'm really enjoying that shape. Is our now my pipe is on the smaller side. It's one of the pipes that I use for either morning or something, yeah, you know, something like that. It's about a thirty-five, forty-minute smoke. Are most of your pipes in the group three, group four size? Yeah, yeah. I tend to make them a little smaller, and not, yeah, it's not very heavy either. No. No, I, I prefer to smoke a smaller pipe, so I, I guess that's kind of what I naturally make. Um, what do your pipes start out price-wise at? Uh, about three twenty-five, and they go up to six hundred. Is six hundred the most expensive pipe you've ever sold? Yes. Yeah. So. Here's a here's a chance at an affordable handcrafted pipe that uh, is less expensive than some factory pipes are. Mm-hmm. Now let me ask you one more question about this pipe in particular, and I didn't I haven't prompted you for answers or anything, but I've noticed with this pipe the bottom of the bowl seems to be exactly the same diameter as the top of the bowl. You just kind of work all the way down, and then you really do. You it really seems rounded out down at the bottom. Is that instead of coming down and having a little bit of taper in there, the bottom almost seems like it comes all the way down and then just kind of smooths out and flattens. Is that something that you've done stylistically on purpose, or is that just a a unique feature of this one pipe? As far as the the chamber, yeah, the bottom of the tobacco chamber. Or, okay. do you, or do you not have any clue what I'm talking about, which is quite possible because <laughs> nah. I've had a few drinks today. <laughs> no, that's, um, that, that would just be the, uh, the drill bit I'd used. Um, and, yeah, usually on s- mainly the straight wall uh, chambers, they kind of have a little bit of flatter bottom to them. And I'm still I'm still experimenting back and forth and with the chambers and all that. So speaking of experimenting, what are there any uh, top secrets coming up? Um, nothing too top secret. I, I'm wanting to get into a little bit more, um, maybe some inlay type stuff with uh, the stem with my stems and um, shank caps and bands kind of i guess take some things from the guitar luthier world and kind of integrate it into the uh pipe world so take take both take both things and merge them into uh into one yeah hey going back to your personal pipes for a minute how many pipes do you have now that are not made by you i have i would say probably 12 or so are they uh is there any uh, any basic theme to the collection, or is it just pipes you um, like? Mainly pipes I like. I do have more um, 
the collection is more um, American carvers that I uh, really like. Um, so I guess that would be kind of the theme. But uh, it's really what what grabs me. And speaking of speaking of what grabs you, what grabbed me was you went off on a summertime hiking trip or a fall hiking trip. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, was this your uh, your hippie uh, your, your hippie coming out in you that you wanted to go walk in nature? Um, it, I guess it could be. Yeah, I guess I was. I, I like to walk, but um, yeah, this summer I I went to the Chicago show, and then right from Chicago, I took the train down to um, San Diego, and stayed with uh, this couple that takes in hikers, and they drove us down to Campo, California, which is right on the California-Mexico border. And then I started hiking north on the Pacific Crest Trail, which it starts there and it ends in Canada, going through California, Oregon, and Washington. And I made it up to... Etna, California, which is about 100 miles south of the Oregon border. And I had a knee injury, and I had to uh, call the hike off. But, yes, I spent a few months this summer hiking. And that's, I guess that's uh, another hobby of mine is long-distance hiking. Um, How long was, how long did, how many miles did you hike? In total, on that trip was it was roughly sixteen hundred miles. <laughs> okay, um, how long did it take you? It took me. Let's see. I got off in. It was mid mid September. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, did you say you were gone from like May until mid September? Yeah, yeah. I'd say maybe four months. All right. Describe this for me. You, you were carrying basically a backpack, and that was yeah. it? Uh, yeah, I had a backpack. I uh, had a down quilt, a small tarp that I would use for my shelter. Um, not really any extra clothes, just some warm layers and a down jacket and usually a little cook pot that ran and the little soda can stove that used uh, denatured alcohol for the fuel and about five five to seven days worth of food and I would just hike until the next town is nearby and then either uh, hike into town or hitchhike into town and resupply um, stay at a hostel or get a hotel room and then sometimes take a few days off and head back to the trail and continue hiking north what were what were the coldest temperatures you had the coldest temperatures was right when i got into well it was a little after i had gotten into the sierra mountains and the coldest night was there's a side trip and you can take and climb mount whitney (laughs) so me and a couple buddies of mine we took that side trip and we camped kind of after a few miles from the base of Mount Whitney, and that was the coldest night, and my quilt is rated to be comfortable in 20 degrees, 
and I had all my clothes on, and I was wrapped up in that thing, and I didn't sleep too much that night. So I would say it was probably in the teens. And did you have some hot weather? Uh, yes, lots of hot weather. Um, the first 700 miles is the desert, so... Yeah, there was some really hot days, and going through the Mojave Desert section, that was, they were going through, there was a heat wave when I went through, and that section is totally exposed, not even a Joshua tree around to try to find shade under. Did you, did the trail go through Death Valley? It did not, no, it, it went, it kind of skirted along the side of it, um, so, but, the, so you were on the edge of Death Valley. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did Did you have to carry your own water? Yes. Yeah, I had to do that. And through the desert, the most I carried was, I think it was six liters through one section. Um, but the uh, there is a really good, with like the long distance trails, um, and where they are, like the Pacific Crest Trail or the Appalachian Trail or the Continental Divide Trail. There's definitely a tight-knit community of hikers and people that live near the trail that are aware of the trail. Trail, and So through the desert section, people would, I guess locals that knew that there wasn't any water around, they would set up water caches for the hikers. So, yeah, we could come up to a tree and find 50 gallons of water, um, of just water bottles that they left for the hikers to take. And that that has definitely saved me a few times and saved probably a lot of hikers a few times. Yeah, well, and they know you're not going to take too much because you can't carry it all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I think it's probably a little easier on them to put water out than it is to scrape bodies off of the trail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how many were how many were with you in this group? Um, I started with two buddies of mine, um, and we hiked for a while, and then they took some time off in a town to heal up, and I kind of kept on hiking and met up with them a few hundred miles later. Then we hiked together the rest of or until I had to get off, and then they continued. Um, but normally there's, there's, I guess, a handful of people or a couple hundred people that are attempting to do this hike every year. So you run into these people, and you run into them here and there in town on the trail, and you really build these um, really tight bonds with the other hikers. Um, so okay. you've... So I wasn't really hiking alone. Sometimes I would hike alone during the day, but usually in the evening or if I just took a 20-minute break, I would run into another hiker. Wow. Is this the longest hike you've done? Uh, no. In 2010, I through-hiked the Appalachian Trail, which that's 2,100 miles roughly. Where does that start and end? That starts in northern Georgia at uh, Amicalola State Park, and it finishes in Maine, about the middle of Maine, at uh, Baxter State Park at uh, Mount Katahdin. And I would imagine you don't want to be in Maine in the late fall or winter. 
Yeah, luckily that year was pretty good, um, so it didn't get hit by any uh, early storms. But yeah, I had finished that trip September the 16th. So your your job is nice enough to let you take the time off to do all these uh, all these long hikes. Uh yes, yeah they are. They're uh, it's a small kind of family owned business. I'm not part of the family, but I guess I'm somewhat part of the family. It feels like um, it's the other yeah, family. Were... It's the other family in your town. The other family. Yeah, isn't there only two families in the entire state? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I guess. (laughs) All right, now the important thing is, do you take a pipe with you on these hikes? I do, yes. Yeah, and... And tobacco. Yes. Yeah, and I didn't, um, through the desert section, I didn't smoke too much. I was... (laughs) Usually, it was a little too hot, and usually, I mean, you're hiking... As soon as you wake up, you grab breakfast and you start walking. So I was walking eight to ten hours a day, and by the time I get to camp at night, all I wanted to do was just eat and go to bed. So I didn't have a whole, actually, a whole lot of time to take a forty-five minute smoke break. Um, but usually, when I was in town, I would uh, have a pipe. Yeah, nor the desire to light flame to something while you're sitting in the desert on the edge of Death Valley in the middle of the summer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although it's a good hand warmer when you're up on the mountains. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, any uh, any future hikes coming up? Uh, at the moment, not really. Um, I do plan on, I'm not sure when, maybe a couple weeks this summer, uh, I'd like to finish up the Pacific Crest Trail, um, which is about another 900 miles, but I think I would break that up in the smaller sections. Um, I think for the time being, or at least in the near future, um, long-distance hiking is, I'll probably put that on hold for a little bit. Because um, you kind of have to quit quit everything else to be able to take off for uh, six months and trying to uh, really focus on the pipe making right now. So, And someday you might want to have a family. Yeah, yeah. And And I I don't want my knees to uh, totally fail me anytime (laughs) soon, so. Yeah, or any sooner than than uh, than they shouldn't. Yeah. All right, Abe, we've taken up enough of your Thanksgiving celebrations. We'll wrap this up with the fast five final questions. There's no right answer, no wrong answer. Are you ready? All right. What's your favorite pipe? Uh, Billiard. What's your favorite tobacco? Uh, Probably Marlin Flake. What's your favorite drink? Um, Probably a stout beer. And when it's time to relax, which is to me is not walking 1,600 miles, uh, is it a book, a movie, or some music? Either a book or music. And the, fa- the Fast Five final question, what's your favorite pipe-smoking memory? Um, probably when I was in uh, New Hampshire on the trail 
I uh, stopped early and I was in the, this isn't going to be a fast answer, but um, I was in the uh, the White Mountains and on Franconia Ridge and stopped and set up camp. And I kind of had the whole mountain to myself and watched the sunset while smoking a pipe. That was it's probably been my greatest pipe memory. If you would like to see Abe's pipes besides his own website, herbapipes.com, uh, who else sells your pipes? Uh, uh, smokingpipes.com and smokershaven.com. They both carry my pipes. Take a look at his website. Look for his pipes. Abe, thank you very much. Happy Thanksgiving to you and all your family. Oh, thanks for having me, Brian. And we'll be back with more show in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. The term one-stop shop is so overused. There's no place that is literally a one-stop shop. Well, guess what? When it comes to your quality tobacco products, there is. It's cupojoes.com. With hundreds of pipe tobacco blends, thousands of pipes in stock, a wide variety of cigars, coffees, accessories, and so much more. All you have to do is go to cupojoes.com, and there it is, cupojoes.com. Quality products, extraordinary prices. Welcome back, Abe Herba, another one of those wonderful, kind, talented people in our uh, in our little hobby here. Uh, last year for the Thanksgiving show, we had Scott Thiele on, and I discovered the music of his son, Chris. So I thought I'd continue the Thanksgiving Day tradition of playing a piece of music from Chris Thiele. This is from his band, Punch Brothers, and the song is called rye whiskey which kind of goes along with my drinking tradition of wild turkey for thanksgiving kind of sort of here it is
held my baby tightly. Oh boy, my whiskey makes the sunset faster, makes the spirit more willing, puts the body weaker. Because bad sleep isn't good sleep, boys. Have I ever told you about the time I took you? It's a Whiskey by the Punch Brothers featuring Chris Thiele. In the mailbag, let me read to you what uh, Birdseye or Nelson wrote. Really enjoyed this week's guest. Lots of interesting topics. Had a lot of people, lots and lots of comments positive about Mike Sull. Mike's a wonderful guy. But uh, Birdseye goes on to say, as one who has thrown a number of show critiques your way, I think your interviewing style works just fine, like two good friends talking about pipes. That's what it's all about anyway, right? I also like the fact that you're reading more comments from listeners. I feel it connects you with the audience more. Keep doing it. I'll keep listening. Nelson. Nelson, it was your critique of the show a couple weeks ago that reminded me to go back in and read more of the uh, viewer com- or the listener comments. I do listen to critiques of the show. My problem, and I'll refer back to my rant of last week, my problem is from the one person who hijacked a thread that was about somebody asking for recommendations on blends with Periques, he hijacked it by by saying, I don't do the podcast, and TBH, for the most part, I'm not a fan of Brian or his take on our hobby. He doesn't listen to the podcast. He might have listened to a couple of the shows. Uh, that said, I've listened to a few podcasts, and I don't take his views seriously. Okay? So either you don't or you do. If you listen to the show and you've got an honest critique about it, I listen to it. A uh, big van has poked at me a couple of times. Big van, you've poked at me a couple of times. Referring back to your drinking game, I listened to it. I didn't. Doesn't bother me. It's a real critique from somebody who actually listens to the show on a regular basis. Uh, member E S C I O E. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. I am the leading expert on my own opinion, and you're the leading expert on your own opinion, and yeah, that is shtick, and it works for me, and I don't mind it, but you guys are all listeners. If you've got a critique or 
think that there's something that we can do better, let us know. Uh, unfortunately, the show music and stuff like that, we all kind of like it, and it works for a whole bunch of people, so that stuff's not really going to change. But we did get a ton of positive comments on uh, on Mike Saul from last week. I'll read what Bill P. wrote. Thanks, Brian, for another great show. I really enjoyed the interview with Michael Sull. In fact, the interview inspired me to take a look at pursuing calligraphy as a hobby. I started doing some research online, and I'm looking forward to getting started with what seems to be a wonderful art form. This is one of the things I love about this show. All the pipe stuff is great, but I really love learning about interesting people. Thanks, Brian and Michael. Peace, Bill. That is, to me, the most important thing that I could ever hear from somebody. It's really the show is about the interesting people, the wonderful people in the hobby, and learning about pipes and learning about pipe tobaccos. I do want to say thank yous, because I want to wrap this up in a positive way. Thank you to Craig94YJ, Cosmic Fork Folklore, I'm sorry, Lord of the Pipe Rings, Brad, thank you, Dragon Slayer, Craig, thank you, Mike, Cigar Master, also known as Harris, thank you. Trail Boss, Smokey Tay 33, Ed Green, Peckinpah Ombre, my friend Dino, Balsifer in Canada, thank you. I uh, even got a comment last week from S.E. Thiele, who we just heard his son's music, uh, thanking me for that wonderful show. John Seiler, we love you. You're always there for us. Thank you. Uh, Casey Ghost, PJ Hicks, thank you all for all the kind comments. And with that, I'm going to switch things up and we're going to end on a positive note. So a Thanksgiving happy rant coming up next. I'm Mark from Ohio, and I've tried so many tobaccos, but I just still can't find something that is just magical, a tobacco that I can fall in love with. I mean, I've tried reading reviews online and participating in forum discussions only to get burned. When I was about to give up, I discovered this amazing matching system for finding my perfect blend at SutliftTobacco.com. That's how I found my perfect blend, and I just love it. Finding the right tobacco doesn't have to be hard. There are lots of tobaccos waiting for you to fall in love with them. Finding that special tobacco shouldn't be left up to chance. Experience the magic of compatibility with our patented Perfect Match system. Try it at SutlifeTobacco.com. Go to SutlifeTobacco.com right now and find your perfect blend. Today, as many of us did as we sat around the Thanksgiving Day table, we talked about what we are thankful for, and I thought I would share what I'm thankful for with all of you. Both of my kids were there. 21-year-old son, Kevin, 16-year-old Samantha, and what I'm thankful for is, first of all, that they're my kids, but second of all, what they remind me of every day. To my son, Kevin, who is uh, in his senior year getting his elementary education degree, 
He reminds me of the the fact that there is still faith in the world, there's selflessness in the world, and there are still young people in the world that come out of high school and know that what they want to do is they want to have that same impact that teachers had on them going forward, and they want to keep helping the uh, next generation and dedicating their lives to making everybody else better around them. And that's what my son Kevin does for me. He's sweet, sensitive, and already decided at a young age that he wants to dedicate his life towards helping others. And to my daughter Samantha, who I've shared with you some of her health issues, she reminds me of strength every day because every day she gets up and she has to deal with whether or not her blood sugars are going to be good that day, whether or not she's going to have aches and pains that day, what other little ailments might come up, but that doesn't stop her. That doesn't stop her from getting A's and B's in some advanced classes in high school, being a member of the marching band, being a member of the concert band, and still at the same time pursuing a uh, full career in Girl Scouts and starting to work on her final gold project. And to me that's a lot of strength that a lot of us don't have. We let the little things get in the way and I'm thankful for her and reminding me every day that she's got way more than somebody at 16 should have to deal with, but she doesn't let it stop her. She doesn't focus on it and say, oh, I can't do it because of this or because of that. So with that, I'm thankful for that. I am also very thankful for all of you out there. I hope that in addition to some good turkey, we all got to smoke some good bowls of tobacco today. Got to spend a little bit of time being thankful for all the friends that we have in this wonderful pipe smoking community. On behalf of myself and Kevin Godby, want to thank you all, wish you all the best of a rest of a Thanksgiving weekend, and a happy Hanukkah, and remind you, we're all connected by this little briar pipe and this enjoyment of tobacco, and it makes us all one big happy family, so thank you for being part of our family. With that, we'll wrap the show up. Please make sure and send in those holiday, uh, those holiday traditions If you're in San Antonio, come see me next week. Next week's show, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. We are actually up to 100 reviews on iTunes. I appreciate all those. If you haven't had a chance, please do that. And I'll say thank you again to Sutliff Tobacco Company. And until next time. Sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy And 
for all you ladies in the Tampa, St. Pete area, you can be thankful. Kevin Godby has a steady girlfriend now. It's now safe to go back out into the water.